Welcome back, everyone. We are live with another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers. This is Jack Greenstock. I'm going to be passing the hosting duties over to Matthew Gates and the rest of the panel today. So I just want to say cheers, everybody, and thank you so much for coming. And I'll catch you all next week. Have a great week. And uh, thank you, Matthew. I'm going to pass the host on over to you now. And uh, have a great show, everyone. Wait, uh, Jack, can you type in the chat just to get it going? Never mind, it started. You're good. Well, cool. Well, excellent. Well, welcome to episode 111. This is Cheap Home Grow. This is Matthew Gates, Integrated Pest Management Specialist. I will be hosting, which doesn't mean too much here, not to uh, minimize Jack's great contributions here, but we all have a great time speaking on the panel no matter what. So I'd like to talk here first with Spartan Grown. How are you doing? I am doing good today. I hope everybody else is doing well. I'm Spartan Grown. I'm a, a organic home cultivator, and then at work we do synthetic. So I've got a, my foot in kind of both, both, I guess, genres of growing. <laughs> but you can find me on Instagram, Spartan Grown, all one word, or also you can just shoot me an email, SpartanGrown at gmail.com if you have any questions. I've started describing you that way as well, among among other things like Gandalf the Green and that sort of a thing. Because <laughs> it is true, you do have that that dual experience, and I think that's been very uh, very helpful and insightful. Next, we have Aaron the Grower, who hasn't been on in a couple of sessions. How are you doing? What's up, guys? Yes, regretfully, um, life has picked up, and I I can't help but keep my feet on the ground. Um, so yeah, I'm Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres on Instagram and YouTube and atgacres.com. Um, I'm really happy to be back. Uh, always miss you guys. I feel the same way, but I do understand that you are quite busy lately, but for good reasons. When people ask me what I'm doing, I always say productively busy because it's true. And that's, that's where you want to be. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, finally, wow, very small panel uh, this week, but that's okay. Noah the Groa, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, still kind of recovering from this car wreck, but uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm Noah the Groa on Instagram. If you got any questions, you can come over and check out my stuff. I've been a medical grower for about 10, 11 years now, and uh, always have a great time with everybody, and uh, I'm ready to get into it. Excellent to hear. So um, did anyone have a pressing topic that they wanted to talk about? I know that uh, Dr. MJ Coco just got his Instagram unlocked, although now that I've said that, I probably jinxed it. So hopefully it'll be here next week. Um, I just want to bring that up for the chat. Oh, speaking of which, we should remind everyone to be in live chat, not top chat, if you want to get all of the comments, or maybe you want to use the filter. I don't know. Make your own decision. <laughs> If anybody has questions in chat, uh, go ahead and tag, since Jack's not going to be in chat, you can go ahead and tag me, Spartan Grown. Just do an at, then Spartan Grown, and uh, I should hopefully see it, and we'll uh, try to get the question out and give you the best answer we can come up with. Spartan's uh, really we, good about that kind of thing, honestly. <laughs> I'm try, I try, man. A lot of times you guys are talking way above, like, I don't have anything to add, so I try to make myself useful by uh, reading chat <laughs> and pulling out questions. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, like, uh, you know, and I think that's why we have such good chemistry, honestly. Maybe this episode, because it's a, a bit of a different flavor and composition, maybe it's going to be a bit of a meta episode. But I do have to say that I think we do, pre- that's a, what a good team does, I think. It's like, like uh, you know, as there might be a forefront and a back front or background, perhaps. And um, Well, you know, I love but, it, dude. It's That's a great topic in itself. Just like when you, when you build a team, at anything but we'll just say on a grow like you're you're you have a, a big grow and you have more than one person working there you don't have to have somebody to be exactly like you you just play towards everybody's strengths and uh so like my strategy is is i like to cross train people but i watch how they do things and if i see that they do stuff really well then those are the people that are going to do those t- like yeah, that makes generally sense. the test that they do well is the is the is the task that they enjoy to do, and the task that they don't enjoy doing they don't do well. So if I can like if I if it's my job to assign people tasks, I try to assign people the tasks the things that they like to do, and that that way that job's done to the best. You know what I mean? That's kind of a cool strategy that a lot of people might not think about. They just think this has got to be done. You do it. You do it. You do it. But like perfect example at work, the the sprain. You know, no matter what it is, we're spraying, even if it's just water. I'm not a fan of spraying because even if it's just water, we just we still have to follow all the protocols, like all the PPE, all the like we got. There's a whole list of things we have to do. We have to log things in everything that we do. We have sticker or not stickers, but magnetic warnings that we put on the doors when people are in there spraying. It's a huge process for me. One of my least favorite things to do. And it's very common that most of the people don't like doing it, but we do have somebody on the team that absolutely loves doing that. So in a common situation, what would happen is, is everybody would take a turn at it. But uh, in our situation, we just talked amongst ourselves and we're like, Oh, you like to do it, then go ahead and do that. And we'll do what you don't like to do. You know what I mean? And and it works out great that way. It is nice when those sorts of, um, I guess, strengths as well as like um, motivations kind of, work harmoniously like that. I definitely agree. I think it also sort of circles back to some of the things we've talked about many a time, which is that like, like in the case of like Russ Brandon, for example, um, you know, having a small team that's tight knit. And, uh, and like you say, I'm a huge advocate of cross training, especially in IPM. Um, uh, in, in my experience in general agriculture, I find that usually when people um, realize that they need like a crop scouting facet of their pest control um that's not just like somebody coming up and being like i've never seen this before you want to take a look at it um which is fine and i love to like uh i love to facilitate people who have that natural inclination but what i find is that people who are just like i guess you could just call like general labor or something like this as dehumanizing as that is the title or a uh, description um they just be like oh well let's just let's uh, teach these people a little bit more um, and then we'll graduate them to be the crop scouts that do it as a dedicated position. But then they forget training all the other people who sometimes even have um, more hands-on contact with the plant, like hour to hour, I suppose, I suppose you could say. And, um, you know, just bringing everyone onto a, a, an even minimal level of training is super useful. And if you have a smaller group of people, even more so, is that easier? Yeah, I find that to be super true. Like, because we're a smaller group, like five people for the whole giant operation. Well, it's not even giant, but the whole operation is five people. And 
when you're that small, you have to communicate. You have to, and that's what I love because that was my biggest bitch about working in big companies was the the lack of communication or or how terrible the communication was. I think communication is key, especially especially in uh, a situation where there's only five of you and there's a lot of work to get done. You got to be on point with communicating with each other. I agree. Yeah. Better to over communicate than absolutely. Like, yeah. Like you, you, sometimes I tell my guys the same thing three times, the same, like in one day. And then I'm like, Oh, I said that earlier, but you know, it's just important to make sure you, you say it. Yeah. I I'll admit that like, I'm not perfect. And then sometimes for myself, I do agree with you. Um, uh, that redu- that's one thing that in my life experience, um, redundancy is a great, is a, is a really important thing to, to, to have in an organization, no matter what size it is. But even for myself, sometimes when people remind me things that like in my mind, I'm like, I already know that. Who do you think I am? You know, you know who I am. Like that, that feeling, that ego can be a little bit um, <laughs> inflated sometimes, even for like small things. So it can be helpful to like know other people's reactions. I have a particular friend whose disposition is, I'm going to say fiery. He can be a little bit fiery sometimes. He's got a fire under him. Um, which allows him to be, you know, explosive in other ways that are really beneficial. But uh, sometimes I have been known to annoy him by being <laughs> redundant uh, about operations and things like this. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to just work towards a common objective, you know, and as long as you're respectful um, and you consider the uh, specifics of different people, you know, usually that's, that's, that's fine for chemistry's sake. And then sometimes it takes time for that sort of to congeal and coalesce well at least in my experience, it won't happen day one, always. I'm sitting here talking muted, sorry, my bad. Uh, we have some questions coming in from chat. Uh, one person was from Chad Westport, uh, chat, and want to know our termites, this is a good one for you, Matthew, <laughs> are termites common to cannabis? I don't think I've seen them a lot, but or at least in the wood mulch used as a cover, do they hang around or do they just move on? It is termite season in the Northern hemisphere, uh, or at least in North America anyways. And I would say that a lot of people I know are seeing swarming termites, subterranean termites, dry wood termites. Um, there's actually a new species of termite in California currently uh, as an invasive. But uh, as far as cannabis is concerned, I'm seeing it a little bit more and more, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite call them common. Of course, the data is kind of out there, so I'm not really basing that on anything except for my own experience and what I've seen from other people online. But I am, I am getting asked about termites more and more. In fact, I was just asked about termites like yesterday or today, um, and then a few days before that. Um, and they were, they were, I have seen them attack cannabis, um, like the cambium, like that bark layer. I've seen them girdle it. Um, I've also seen carpenter ants and fire ants and other kinds of ants that I wasn't able to identify, like through video attack uh, cannabis plants as well. So it's definitely a thing that can happen. So as a food source, they're eating the, is the, the outside coating of the branch? Or I'm not always sure. Well, for termites, yes. For termites, they eat the wood and then the microbes in their body break down the, the lignin. And um, that, so, so termites are basically, all termites descend for, from a lineage of cockroaches. So they're just, they're just social wood cockroaches, of which there are many wood cockroaches out there. 
and um and so i assume that that's that must be what they're they're feeding on in in those in those cases um for the ants though i'm not always sure and i've tried to talk with my buddy like i have a, a friend who's a and he's a myrmecologist he's an ant uh, ant entomologist in russia named uh dr anton zukov and he when i've asked him about this um it's sort of unclear to him as well sometimes carpenter ants use things for like nesting materials or they do in fact they're, they're like trying to get hydration out of the water uh, or i'm sorry hydration out of the water hydration out of the tissue and when it's really hot that can be a possibility as well also um you know if you're irrigating your plants um they can take they can take that free moisture as well but by just like squeezing the dirt or the tissue and extracting out the liquid. So I think there's some of that going on too, potentially. Um, but again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call it like a, it, it's not like a normal food source, like it would be for like aphids or something like that. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Like it's not often that plants, except for maybe outdoor plants get big enough to really build a lot of that woody material. <laughs> Uh, indoor. That's true. I don't think yeah. this is going to be a big issue unless you're outdoor, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been what I've seen. It's usually like an outdoor, like a sort of like, kind of like, um, like greenhouse sort of situation, typically not like an indoor one, certainly. And also the kinds of termites I was talking about earlier, like the dry wood and the subterranean termites that people get as like house pests. Um, I don't think those are typically the ones people are interacting with as um, cannabis pests too. So it's a different situation there. But termites are definitely not my greatest forte. Well, this next question, I think uh, probably Aaron's gonna be able to answer this the best. And that's, um, and anybody can jump in if you have the answer. I can't, I don't have an answer for this, but what would be, this was a question from Vero HTX from chat. And they said, what would be the last week in flout? What would, uh, hold on. What would the last week in flower do to a saturated paste test from Logan Labs? I had to kind of filter that out to make it say, make sense. Oh yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't know that. Wait, I'm not sure I understand. What would the last week of your soil look like in a saturated yeah, okay. paste test? I think what they're asking is is what what are you looking for? What 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 it, uh, if you're looking at a saturated paste test, what do you should you be looking for at that at that point in time? or is I it gotcha. that's kind of a i don't know I'm, I'm i'm paraphrasing i'm trying to pull meaning out of it but that makes sense um if you could I, restructure your your question um that might help us out chat who is this uh it was vero underscore htx from chat and youtube yeah all right let it let it uh give us another question if or um another uh a uh, way to put it possibly like I also wasn't sure I quite understood it either I mean probably a lot of what I, how I would respond to that question as we've um, interpreted it is you know low nitrogen but like exact numbers and stuff that's going to depend on your strain and you know I mean, are you, you looking, as a cultivators are you looking to have your substrate pretty much emptied out at that point or are you not so much concerned with um a lot of nutrition or i don't know how I, to for, yeah. I don't really know how to phrase it i don't think yeah. that you need to worry about emptying it like the traditional like flush you know like 
it's not like we're we need to push everything out of there and especially because i reuse my soil every cycle um but that said optimum conditions you know you probably want to see your nitrogen go really low um but other than that i i, I couldn't see other compounds being or other you know atoms being a problem other elements um but you know when i spoke to um like sustainable plant solutions and soil doctor, everybody has a different opinion on where your levels should be, should be in the saturated paste test. And it has a lot to do with the soil mediums they've worked with themselves, like traditional soil or soilless media. There's, you know, cation exchange capacity between those two mean completely different things. So different ag experts have interpreted saturated paste tests differently. I also feel like it's one of those things where um, it's more important to have, and this is kind of why I wasn't sure how to answer the question, is that like, I feel that it is case by case, kind of like we've already said, it's one of those things where the data, like over a period of time is valuable for the contextual information you can marry that to. And in a vacuum, it doesn't really tell you anything um, exactly. as significantly as it could, wouldn't you say? Agreed. Maybe, okay, maybe I'm, I'm wrong here, but the strategy, well, I'm also in pots, so it's different than in the soil, but my strategy or my thought process on this is I'm treating, you know, we've heard this before. I, I'm almost looking at the soil like a battery and as it's getting depleted, I'm looking for deficiency signs in my plant. I'm looking at my plant for signs of deficiency to tell me that I've depleted uh, a nutrient. And at that point, it's my job to replace that nutrient. So I'm looking more at, I'm just trying to keep that at minimal levels. I'm not trying to like put a mass amount on there. I just want to have enough in there so the plant's happy. And then if the plant becomes not happy, then I know I can, I can address it with a top dress. That's kind of my loose strategy. Like a minimum yeah, so, threshold. Yeah. Yeah. I like that perspective personally. Mm -hmm. because like, and I was just having a conversation with this with a client actually um, about the use of like microbes. And this could be a question too, although I did see a good, a really cool question from uh, Katie um, in the chat, but uh, I do feel like when it comes to, and I, and I actually quoted you Spartan, believe it or not here. Um, I was telling them that like, when it comes to adding inputs, um, I agree with Spartan on this, that like, you really got to show what you're getting out of it. I, like, I really want to see a pretty stark demonstrable effect. And if it's not something that it, not necessarily like, I mean, quantification is important, but even before that, it's like, it does the cost benefit analysis make sense. And I think for a lot of inputs, that's not always the case. Um, and so like having that minimum threshold perspective is kind of like, great, if you're able to make fire dank and it's like, you know, whatever metric you're using, whatever that threshold is, anything above that's got to be worth it, right? Yeah, uh, that's the, the be, me being the cheap home grower that I am. I, I, that's what I would say. Um, if you're having some type of a problem, like, you know, that the plant's not, you know, your weed's not tasting good. You know, you're not getting trichome production. You're not, 
getting as much weight as you should, then, you know, maybe you would want to dig a little deeper. But I think if you're at a spot where the weed is good, um, I wouldn't dig too deep into that myself. Um, I'm getting uh, a request for Brady Bunch um, view in the chat, so I'm going to try to... Oh, two people enter the wig room. I am yeah, not a good host. That's, that's what I was just getting to say. Uh, the American one and Predicated Breeding are both there, yeah. I think it has to do with you, uh, YouTube will not display the monitors that don't have a video feed. So people that have an active background that are showing their icons will show up, but people that don't, and it's just their names, they probably are not showing up on YouTube. I'm going to gallery view, which I believe is that Brady Bunch view. <laughs> and I've oh, just yeah. uh, I've just written Kyle Breeder and the American one. Kyle, interview. Uh, <laughs> tell us about yourself. Kyle's not there yet. It seems that way. Same thing with American one. Looks like he's still connecting his audio. He's not even all the way in yet. Uh, Tom might be here shortly. Yeah, so we'll... What's up, Tom? Why don't you tell everybody about yourself? Introduce yourself. Hello, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. And uh, yeah, I'm just a, pretty much a low profile cannabis cultivator. And uh, yeah, I love hanging out and talk, chatting with these guys about everything that's going on. So I'm glad to be here. Hello to chat. People are definitely in CDF and NorCal is Tao. Chad is also uh, singing your praises, so definitely people miss you. And uh, Kyle, are you there? No? Are you muted? No? Hmm. Well, anyways, I think we have another question, potentially. Yeah, we got a couple here. Uh, let's see, the next one down was... Uh, do you, this is from Kate Armstrong. Do you think a couple oscillating fans are good to use in a tent or a couple stationary fans pointed in opposite directions? Now, my problem with this question is tent doesn't describe anything for me because they can be multiple sizes, right? So really the space, tent doesn't matter to me. The space that you're covering matters to me. And um, I mean, to generally answer the question just myself is like, if you can get more fans in there, put more fans in there and don't, I don't like direct airflow on my plants, but above, below, around, big fan of that. That's what I would say too. I think that uh, if you're growing in a tent, I don't have a lot of experience growing with tents, but I did grow in a four by eight room and a closet when I was first coming up, but uh, you're going to want to move that air somehow. And uh, if you have them, blowing on the plants directly doesn't really matter how you're going to get wind burned so you want to do just like just like spartan said above the canopy or you know below it you know down by the pots and stuff you definitely want to move in that air though i have been playing with like a new strategy or newer newer strategy of instead of oscillating fans is just creating a, a circle of air and, and stirring the air like you would stir your water and i really like those results I, i've done that before too <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Is, is, is Kyle there still? <laughs> no? That's weird. We'll have to keep calling Kyle here and there and see if he'll pop in. Maybe his mic's not working. He's been talking this whole time, maybe. It's possible. All right. Um, next question. Uh, oh, yeah, that was Katie's. Um, can gypsum be used? This was a UKSIF420. Can gypsum be used when using synthetic nutrients in cocoa? I would say it's possible to use it, but it's not a great idea to use it. And my reasoning for that is, is if you're feeding synthetically, I'm going to use analogies here because I don't have the scientific words for it. So when you feed synthetically, the plant doesn't have to shoot out its exudates to attract the microbes because it's getting the plant available nutrition already. So it doesn't do that. It saves its sugars that it's making. Maybe it still sends out some, I'm sure. But when you switch that up, the, the type of nutrition up in the middle of a cycle, it's going to take a, a, a time period for that plant to adjust to be able to access that nutrition. Like, for example, my best example here, when I take a clone from my home garden, which was organically grown and put it transplant it and start feeding it synthetically it'll take right off no problem if i were to take a clone from a synthetic garden and put it in organic organic medium and just give it water to have it start feeding organically it's going to take some time for that plant in fact it's taken two three weeks sometimes for these plants to what i call figure out how to eat again and uh to start transferring over to eating in a different way and that's kind of my reservations towards when people say that there's synganic growers where they mix the two. It's like, eh, if you're mostly organic and you're throwing some synthetics in there just to address deficiencies and stuff. I mean, yeah, you're getting plant available nutrition to the plant quick for sure, but you're also at the same time affecting how the plant is feeding on everything else by affecting the microbiome with those that high salt environment as it goes through the soil column. So that's my really long answer of like, it's possible, but I wouldn't. I agree with that actually. Um, I was just reading a paper that came out recently about mycorrhizae and how, um, uh, I don't know if I talked about that. I talked about this in a few platforms. So tell me if I've done that already here, but um, the paper was about re-examining our perspective about mycorrhizae and essentially the the idea is that like kind of we've been overhyping perhaps the utility of mycorrhizae or at the very least the um the utility in a commercial sense versus like in a natural sense and sort of the differences between well first of all as we've gotten more and more data and as, as we've had more and more nuanced interactions between various endophytes and ectophytes um, of plants be they bacterial, fungal, um, or some other organism, and how like maybe not always is the case, are these relationships even totally mutualistic? Um, I think that, and, and so in these cases, one of the big ones is that a lot of times these relationships are context dependent, and I've talked about this a lot, I know, 
but like if you have a higher nutrient content like nitrogen or rather phosphorus is the one i was thinking of a lot of mycorrhizae for certain plants especially conifers mine phosphorus and exchange it for sugars hexose um, in a lot of cases and uh, when the phosphorus is abundant it's not really it doesn't really facilitate that relationship um, from initiating at the very least um, so i guess i just feel like that's kind of an equal, a sort of like a natural example, uh, where like in a commercial setting, if you do up the nutrient level, you might um, destabilize the very delicate mycorrhizal or or various other microbiome, soil microbiome interactions. Looks like Kyle's back. You want to introduce yourself, Kyle, so everybody knows who you are. Yeah, sorry guys, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know I got let in, <laughs> so I was uh, in the middle of doing something. But yeah, my name is Kyle. Kyle Breeder. Uh, I specialize in feminized breeding. If anybody's looking for feminized seeds, I do have a website. It's the letter P followed by breeding.com. And um, yeah, I have a lot of cool projects in the works coming up. I'm currently have a bunch of cool crosses coming in, so that's pretty excited about that. And uh, yeah, thanks for letting me in, you guys. I'm glad we're all here still. And uh, uh, what, are you guys, what are you guys chatting about? What did I miss? We're just uh, fielding questions today from the chat, mostly. Um, and one of the questions that I could have swore I copied and pasted in there, but it's, I don't see it in there. And it was from Cade Armstrong, but it was a cool question. So I'm going to ask it anyway. And it was, uh, he wants to know everybody on the panel, walk through everybody on the panel and tell her what, what you're growing, what you got growing. So we start with Matthew, I guess. Well, Matthew probably doesn't have anything going at this moment. Maybe not, not, the, not at the moment, honestly. And in some ways, I feel like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a professional courtesy too, because like I don't want to be a bi I don't want to be a, a, a pest vector. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a it's a question I go back and forth on quite a bit. Oh, but at the same time, and at the the flip side of that coin, if you had pest right in your backyard, we'll say. For you, you to can test on. And study you can test, and test on. on. Yeah, there that's you go. True, that's true. Subjects right there. Well, that's yeah. why um, the, those Saigo International. I will say this: the Saigo International people I'm working with in Aguanga um, are putting out some sentinel plants, and so we're going to see all the different things that can infest those plants in that particular biome. So you can check them out. I would use hemp for that. That's got to oh, be yeah. fairly cheap. I mean, yeah. Oh, I agree. I completely agree. Uh, what about you, Noah? What you got going? Um. Well, uh, I'm growing some uh, some Gorilla Glue for uh, this Platinum OG that I've had for five years. That I love to death. Uh, actually, I'm just kind of burping that right now. I trimmed it up last week, but it's sitting in the rack for six days, and I'm just kind of got it in these big Tupperware totes, and I take the lid off for like 20 minutes a day, and then when it gets done with that, I'll jar it and kind of repeat for a couple of weeks. But yeah, I got that. I got um, I got some gelato. I got uh, some sunset sherbet. I got man, I'm just trying to think here. <laughs> I got some purple punch. You got a great push notification ringtone. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Mario Brothers. I grew up with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'm, I'm getting ready to get a couple more. I got a, a, I'm just, I have a tent that I've been meaning to set up forever and I have a bunch of seeds I'm going to, you know, hunt through. I just kind of want to keep it separate from all my other gear, but 
yeah, that's pretty much what I'm rolling with right now. Awesome, Todd. What you got going on, man? I know you got lots of stuff going on. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff happening over here. So I took down um, the last Velvet Punch that was in that grouping of uh, – of, there was three of them. I still have one that I put into Flower Lake, and it's just starting in another area. And um, I took down a Bruce Banner and a Time Wreck recently. But co- going forward, I, um, I have a whole bunch of AK Bean Brains, Blueberry – crosses coming out that I crossed with the cheese quake that I took cuts of. Now I'm going to, I'm reflowering them out. I'm picking through like six of them to see which one I'm going to actually keep around forever. Perhaps I'll keep around too, but I probably not. I'll probably end up, you know, whatever, but yeah, I'm going through those. And then I'm, I have, um, I recently got some chocolate and some OG chocolate tie. The OG chocolate tie was from AKB, AK bean brains as well. So I'm really excited to pop those. Those haven't been started yet. Um, <clears throat> what else do I got? Oh, the silent one on um, YouTube and IG. I think he goes by the silent one anyway, everywhere. Gave me GG4 and Sando, San Fernando Valley Kush uh, cuts crossed by the Alien Rift. And I harvested one of those. And oh, I got, good, yeah, that is some good stuff. I didn't smoke it yet, but it looks incredible and it smells good. But I got um, like four more of those. And it's a big, long story, but I have those in veg. I need, I need to take cuts off of those if I'm going to ever flower them out because they got a little beat up. And uh, what, oh, I got an agent. I just pushed in an agent orange um, clone that I had. I know it's a female. What else is in there? Uh, oh, my proprietary that um, the one I call proprietary is a bag seed that I kept a clone of forever. So I really don't know exactly what it is, the actual strain. Um, that one's almost done too. I'm going to like, I, you know what? I just, I've been lame on the IG. I haven't been posting everything that like I usually do, but, uh, so I've been waiting till they're done and everybody loves those anyway, when they're all done. Um, and good looking, I had ones that weren't that good looking. So I just didn't share them with the world because them ladies don't like to be photographed when they're not looking their best. Oh, dude, um, that's fucking, that's right up among all species, man. Yes, that's right. Um, but, but yeah, I'm excited. I got some uh, can of queen genetics. I got queen white haze that I have two female cuts of that I need to uh, flower out um, that were interesting. But yeah, they weren't up to snuff for either. Uh, but yeah, all of that. But I'm really, oh, and I have, I started, um, I hit some plants with the AK beam brains blueberry male plant um the other one i had was i hit the female with the cheesequake male that i had but i hit a whole bunch of females with the with the blueberry male and i already popped out some of those that i'm uh, excited to try and after seeing this last uh, bruce banner that i pulled out and some other pictures from other people who grew without the cross that i made with the cheesequake i'm going to start some of those after all that too so yeah that's Tal, how's, going this, on. How's, this, how's this stem rub on the the mail that blueberry mail you're getting like pretty decent actually you're getting like actual blueberry turps off that or like a, a undertones of it or there's a little bit i i didn't have that mail very long um i'm gonna have to i'll check into that but the um the female all the females have a blueberry uh flavor to them every single cross that i made with the with the um the cheesequake male into the female that i had and the females is blueberries through 
Now I have another blueberry from um, from Riot Seeds. And that's an old school blueberry. That that blueberry really never tasted blueberry to me. The old school blueberry, like the, the AKB brains has a fruity blueberry flavor. Like it's unmistakable blueberry. And the old school blueberry is like the one I remember, DJ Short, that I grew outside that uh, I grew like fucking a whole bunch outside one year. And that was my favorite uh, through the whole through the whole winter and stuff. That was my go-to, man. I, li- I like that. So, uh, but yeah, the male, they, they all smell, they def- it definitely smelled in veg at one point because that's why I have it too. But <clears throat> I still don't know if it's a keeper or not because I didn't grow any of its offspring out until I got them going now. I'm about to upplant three girls and um, go through more and see if I can find more girls. What about, what about you, Kyle? I know you got a bunch of shit too, but let's hear about it, man. Yeah, well, uh, well one thing I do want to say, so I think I have offered uh, recently, this is all just recent, you guys, but uh, Spartan, and I think I've shipped Noah some, but if Matt, Aaron, or uh, Tao, and Brandon ain't here, and uh, I'm trying to think who else is on the panel right now, but I can't think, but um, so I have a bunch of stuff that I'd like you guys to, if you guys have some room in your grow room, uh, if you guys want to grow some stuff out uh, that I think you'd really like. So if you have, uh, after this show is over, just send me a DM and I'll, I'll ship you some seeds for free. It'd be cool just for you guys to kind of grow my stuff as well, if you're up for it. But uh, yeah, in regards to what I have, so I have some skunk growing that uh, I believe to be pretty legit. It's still too early to kind of tell anything. But uh, I just a lot of there's an interview on Bud Guys, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about um, Blue Skies Vienna and some of the stuff that he has. And, you know, it's like pre. Uh, it's like pre 80s, whatever, pre 80s, pre 90s, but it's all the people that grew it from around, you know, a bunch of guys in Cali and Colorado and all these different growers that have zero affiliation with this guy as a friend uh, all had extremely not, good things to say about the the terpene developments itself. And they were like extremely original to anything that they've been growing and like the, the medicinal benefits it had, um, you know, because I mean, <clears throat> I still, I haven't done too much research into it, but I'm pretty sure if you took weed from like the 70 or uh, say you took a hundred plants from this, the 80s, 90s, and then a hundred plants or different, you know, different cultivars from here and then did lab results. I'm pretty sure there's a slightly radical difference in re- regards to cannabinoid profiles inside of those flowers. Um, but um, anyway, to get to the specific questions, uh, so I have some of those skunk. I have some, uh, I still have the pheno uh, of the lime marilla from Brendan that I'm going to actually have flowering out now. I'm going to hit my, I have, I have two huge New England rock candy mothers that are straight up ball sacked out that I've been spraying for a while and they all, they're all getting ready to throw fem pollen, but I'm, I plan on putting some fem pollen on her. her. I have a, I got a mat cut, the breeder's cut from uh, a close friend of mine in a local grow store that I go to. And um, so I plan on putting some powder, uh, some pollen onto her, which should be interesting. I know she doesn't take well, but hopefully I can get a couple viable seeds. Uh, I have Princess Elsa, and I don't know how long you guys remember or how long we've been doing this, but I have a, a cut called Princess Elsa that's uh, Cookies and Cream by Tangi, and it's just like this extreme purple iced out cut. Um, it's crazy. It's on. It's it's definitely on my uh, my website. There's a video. That's her. If you guys ever take get a chance to look at that. So, but that rock candy's gonna hit her. I have a my Afghan cherries and breeders cherry cake, which is basically a, an Afghani uh, dominant cherry terpene plant. Uh, I, and then I had a, a wedding cake cut that I selected. It's not a breeders cut by any means. 
or the breeders cut of wedding cake. But uh, so I crossed those two and that that's turned out to be beautiful, extremely, extremely beautiful stature, all uh, wicked symmetrical, all like, you know, uh, just really, really vigorous and, and hybrid. Uh, and the, the terpene is just radiating off of her. So that's out of all the, the new crosses I have coming. I think she's going to be an all-star. She has a wicked good trichome development. It's only like week three. I just want uh, to jump, jump in one second real quick. They're asking yeah. Chet who's speaking. That's Kyle Breeder, uh, predicated breeding on, well, you go, you can say it. I don't need to say it all. You've got them all. Uh, you have your own webpage too, isn't it? Pbreeding.com? Yeah, yeah. So I got yeah. a website. It's uh, predicated breeding or pbreeding.com. They both lead to the one website. I did that in case people only knew my name or if they knew who I was. Uh, either They both lead to the same website that I have. Uh, I only do feminized seeds. I do have some Durban. Poison, which are regs, uh, but that's the only regs I have on website. So if anybody wants to get seeds, just, they're basically all fem. Um, but yeah, I'm on social, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I haven't I just, been posting I much sent on you my address, by the way. <laughs> While you were talking, I, I was like, shit, we had that conversation. I don't think I ever sent you the address. So I, I, I sent that to your DM. So you got that now. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been posting much on Instagram because I'm pretty sure I'm shadow banned. Uh, I've gone way over. 300 followers in like the last couple of weeks and I've been stuck at 10.4. So I figured the last time this happened, I just didn't post for like a month and they all kind of came rushing back in. So I don't know what's going on with that shit. So I just, I'm just kind of like taking a small break. So if anybody's wondering why I haven't posted shit, it's just because I'm trying to let Instagram chill out on me. Um, Better but, be careful. Disney's going to be litigious with that naming scheme. Well, I, well, yeah, the last name is EL, uh, it's an ELSA, it's ELZA. <laughs> uh oh uh, uh, very clever i'm sure yeah. that uh um, but yeah originally yeah that was a problem i remember because someone's like oh you're gonna get an infr- uh, trademark infringement and i was like oh that is true because i don't want to end up like uh, gg4 did um but i don't want to take too much more of the mic but yeah i got a bunch of cool stuff coming some of the crosses and you know what's cool i've been thinking about today is like you know i don't just like grab a pack from this guy and a pack from this guy I do a cross and then because i selected a keep from each and then threw it out there like all this stuff that i've been working with is like shit that I had when I first met you guys. Like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm introducing Mac now and like, you know, I have Brandon's Limerilla, but like all this stuff is all, all material that I had when I first started doing all those stress testing projects, which is how I got my breeding plants. And uh, I just feel like I'm, it's just really rewarding in myself knowing that I've just been like trying to create and, and bring forth the market things that are literally things that I've been seeing and selecting since, uh, you know, since I really kind of started this adventure, but um, but yeah, so I have some cool stuff coming out for you guys. Just uh, stay tuned. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Aaron, what you got going on, man? We got to hear it. It's all out. Is it all outdoor too, or or do you guys some indoor stuff going too? I'm working on getting some indoor stuff going in Oklahoma. Most of my genetic stock is in Oklahoma, so I have like 45 strains in Oklahoma. But uh, here in California, I just pop some beans. Um, I pop some LA Confidential some stinking bishop some baja blast which is a citrus farmer number two x lime cream lime cream uh, slush so that's from uh what's what's this guy's name so citrus farmer times a lime nice that sounds awesome farmer two apparently yeah so i think this guy works or these 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 people work on um another breeders like off of another breeders basically they call them the f2 dome it sounds like yeah they, they, do that. uh, that's cool i've heard really good things about that citrus farmer strain really really good 
I'm excited, man. So this one's called Baja Blast. It's by Canna Creature. Um, let's see, what else am I running? Um, what's that one that I did? Cushage. Uh, um, yeah, I think that covers it. Yeah, that does cover it. I'm excited about all this old stuff like LA Con. That's something that I like haven't smoked in a decade. Um, Stinking Bishop is like, that's not even a name that I've heard in, it was, it wasn't a popular strain 10 years ago, but just to have it now is, is something cool. And I only got one of them to pop. They were all preemie looking seeds, 10 years old and nine, one out of 10. So we'll see how it goes. You know, I don't actually know. And I always ask Jack about this. You know, I haven't heard these names either. Do you want to describe them for me? Uh, specifically the um, the citrus farmer, and also feel free to do so too, Spartan, and the um, stinking bishop. I'm curious about. Oh, and the Baja Blast, really all three. Well, I um, unfortunately this is the first time I've run these genetics, so I I am not familiar with them. But like Spartan, I've heard really good things about the citrus farmer. But what what have you heard, Spartan? I bet you know more. So I heard a whole podcast uh, from the breeder who was uh, the original breeder, Citrus, Citrus Farmer. And I can't even think of who that is off the top of my head right now. And um, I, I just can't, I can't remember um, anything in the, in the, the description other than obviously uh, the citrusy was more on the orange side, but, um, and uh, the, I just remembered the, it was one of those strains that I fucking put back in the back of my memory breaks because from the description that I heard from the reader, it was one that I was like, okay, if I see that sometime, I might pick that up because I'm really not in the practice of picking up strains. I don't, I haven't bought seeds in over two years, over two years now, but I've got th lots of seeds. And um, so when I hear, like, I hear strains all the time, obviously, just like you guys. But I'm not like Jack. I can't. They don't stick in my head. So the only ones that really stick are the ones that I'm interested in growing and um, that that I've heard good things from multiple people. It can't be one person. It can't be. You know, I have to hear it come up again and again and again. The citrus farmer is one of those ones that it's a true. From from my regulation, and it could be completely wrong, but it was like one of those true oranges. I think is what because I don't like orange. Most of the orange weed I hate because it's what I you call. Know what i call is astringent weed and dude it's like, i it's like pine like, salt oh, yeah oh, I, dude i'm the same way man i'm actually trimming on orange creamsicle as we speak and i fucking hate it i i, I feel guilty because it's it's great weed but it's like i can't stand this orange so i'm looking for i've been looking for something orangey but i'll tell you what um if i find a keeper that's got a good orange nose on it i i could theoretically hypothetically you know send one your way sweet that would be dope. You know, I, I the other one that uh, I actually have seeds of that I might get to it soon is um, orangeasm from Irie Genetics. It's supposed to be another one of those ones where the orange isn't that that I don't know caustic. What I mean, every time I smoke orange, abrasive. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like I just not pleasurable. I don't know. I want a yeah. smooth smoke. I want it to just yeah. I don't want it. To yeah, I'm with you. You want the pulp, not the rind. Exactly. <laughs> you just can't handle the zest. Ouch. Too much zest. With just the too flavor. Much zest. You guys are <laughs> no. hot tonight. 
I, uh, you know, I've talked about it before, but since we lost some of our earlier episodes, um, I'm not sure if it's recorded, so I'll say it again. Um, here in San Diego, I work with some people uh, that refer to themselves as San Diego's finest. And um, one, one gentleman had uh, bred something that he called Orange Tang, and it's gone now. It doesn't exist anymore, um, unfortunately, but it was like Orange Tang. It was very orangey. And um, you guys have always, you guys have heard me say this story before, but um, I definitely agree. Like sometimes things can be a little too accurate, you know, a little, just a little bit like uh, up in your nose. That's it. Bitter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Yeah. But I do like, um, I mean, suffice to say, I like gas and like growing up, I, I loved those like really super sour candies and things like that. So I definitely have like a, I, I wonder if it's like, if it skewed my like taste and smell perception you know, <laughs> but sure. uh, I think people have different tastes um, as far like I have a buddy that will swear things smell a certain way, like, and it's like complete, like, I don't even get a touch of what that person's like. And then Similar. I'll say the same thing. I'll say the same thing to him. Like, look, this smells just like whatever. And then he'll be like, what are you talking? So I, th- I think that for sure that people have a different, you know, obviously we're using different instruments to uh to do our testing too so that makes that's for sure yeah i mean i think that happens i think that's true no matter what minimally but like yeah sometimes i wonder about some descriptions and i already know about like with um with beer and wine and other sorts of things there's definitely like a marketing framing that people like to use and it will elicit the feeling that there might be something imagined not that i'm saying that people in cannabis are doing this or doing this widely but uh, you know, we trick ourselves a lot of the times too. And, and there's the power of suggestion. So like as a, okay, as a, as a grower, I'm, I'm never going to consider myself much of a breeder. I might slam plants together. You know what I mean? But I'm not doing the work that Kyle's doing. I'm not doing the work that uh legit breeder that Brandon is doing. And uh, um, I'm just doing, having fun at home, just slamming shit together. Right. For sure. Um, so, so, Fuck, I forgot my point in mid-sentence. I don't even know where I was going with that. You're talking about the power of suggestion. Oh, the power of suggestion. Yes, exactly. Thank you. No so, uh, so what I get a kick out of, the most fun thing for me is pheno hunting. That's my. I just love pheno hunting, right? And um, just finding that next thing, right? So when I grow something, I'll write down notes maybe, or I'll keep notes in my own head about how I felt about it. But when I give it to some, I'd like to bring it to as many people as I can to try and, and get feedback from them and say, hey, what do you think? I used to be, I'd be like, oh, I'm excited about this because I got this off it. Let me know what you get. And a lot of times they'd say the same thing as me. When I stopped doing that, I would get different results, right? So I would just say, I think it's pretty good. You let me know what you think and don't give them any, any yeah. hints. I, and then it that. comes back. And sometimes it changes my damn mind. Like, I'll be like, oh, you, you know what? You're right. It does smell like, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, when you're doing that, just don't give them any hints. Let them come up with whatever they can come up with. And if they come back and they said, well, it smells good or it tasted good, but I couldn't really place it, then offer. You'd be like, okay, well, I thought it was like this. Then they'll be, oh, yeah, it is that. Yeah, I definitely. And, you know, it definitely cuts both ways for me. In some cases, it's like, hmm, you know, I think that people are using that power of suggestion 
as like a marketing tool. But in other cases, like you're describing here, even for myself, and I've described myself as kind of a uh, the very, maybe a poor smeller or a weird smeller, or maybe just an atypical smeller, but whatever. Um, sometimes I won't be able to place it. And then somebody will suggest it, like you're saying, and I'll be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, it is like leather. Or, oh, that is definitely like chocolate or whatever. Or, oh. You know, I have a relevant detail uh, fact, if you will. When I was in college and uh, we were, I was studying neuropsychology, I, the lab for that class, we did a super taster to non-taster test. So it's basically like a litmus test and you, it's just a little piece of paper, but you put it on your tongue. And if you taste nothing, you're a non-taster. If you taste a little bit of bitterness, you're a taster. And if you taste uh, yeah. very bitter soap, you're a super taster. I was a super taster. And, and what that, you know, it, there's a whole category of things that makes you more predisposition to, but it was interesting to learn that like, as I've like smoked more and more weed, I kind of was like, Oh, you know, okay. I'm tasting things that this guy right next to me is just like, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't taste at all, which maybe you're just a super taster Spartan. Yeah. There is some genetic components cool. there to like scent and taste. Well, hey, I'll tell you this. Here's my super tasting story because I didn't get to talk about what I'm growing, but there's only one thing that I'm super excited about, or I'm excited about, but this is the one I'm most excited about. Right. All right. Let me, let me clear this real quick. All right. So, I, I've already talked about this before, but I was excited about it because it's the F1 cuvee from, that I'd gotten from Subcool that had been in my storage forever that I popped, what was it, last year sometime? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was last year in the fall. And uh, I just now had gotten them into flower. And I've got, long story short, two phenos now in, in the flower room. And they're probably two, two weeks in maybe. Dude, I went in there for the stem rub because I'm looking for the coveted cherry cordial pheno. That's the one that Sub always talked about was his favorite. Uh, and because I asked him what was his favorite flavor of, of his, and then I asked him what his favorite high was, and I bought both. His favorite high was Vortex. I bought those and grew those. And then uh, Cuvée was the, his favorite flavor. So now I'm doing the Cuvées. The Cuvée, dude. I did stem rub on, on the one pheno, and it was just bland. I'm not getting much out of it whatever it's still early already week two on the uh, it's the number one pheno it smells exactly like candy cherry not the fruit cherry but like you know a candy version cherry like sweet cherry and then on the back end you just smell nothing but um chocolate tootsie roll it smells just like a tootsie roll to me like spot on if, if i had if i had a blindfold i'd tell you tootsie roll every time but it's like cherry tootsie rolls that's a super taster if I ever heard one. Yeah, you know your flavors. It just hits you right in the, the brain stem. Dude, when they hit me like that, that's that's right there. That's Keeper Fino, like one grow. Like I always say, no, always grow them twice. No, when, when you they hit you like that strong, you just fucking hold on to that shit. I, I, I went uh, right in, made sure my clone was rooted. I fucking, I'm like, all right, I'm putting this aside. This one's getting special attention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got never a Kube cookies. That's, that's super fire, but it's just basically a, a repeat of cookies. I mean, anything you breed into cookies, just cookies takes over. Sorry. Uh, oh no, that's okay. That's okay. I was just going to say, I've said it before and I'll say it again, man, I've never had such an experience that was as like unique as a taste as the time I, I uh, smelled and even tasted a, um, like a cola, like a, like a, like a, um, uh, Oh, what was it? I'm forgetting my own story now. 
uh, grape, grape cola. It was like a grape cola flavor. And I think that was like the name. Um, and it was, it was just sort of shocking to me. Like I could almost smell the carbonation, like the acidic, like the acidic of like the carbonic acid, that kind of like scent you get of like. I heard uh, that there's a strain running fizzing. around Detroit called Dirty Sprite that uh, hmm. Herpogs is growing. And uh, I've heard the same thing. It's like you get that fizzy sensation almost as you smoke it, I've heard. I haven't had the chance to smoke it yet. Or at least High it was the scent. Content, yeah. maybe. <laughs> All of the scent there was there. I don't know about any fizzing um, during the smoke itself. But yeah, definitely had like a, it was just sort of profound. And um, I think the person who... Just grew, be- who Oh, sorry. I didn't want to step on you. Oh, I just say, um, I think the person who grew it doesn't grow anymore. I think, um, they were, I forget their name now, but they're somewhere in my Instagram story history or somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, what were you saying? I was, I, I'm, I think, I wonder if like sensation might be still attached to memory and they say that your sense of smell out of all your senses is the one that's most closely attached to memory. So I wonder just mm. picking up that smell might trick your mind into, into picking up sensations that maybe you're not really experiencing too. I Absolutely. think that does happen. I'm, I'm positive that that happens kind of like a yeah. phantom limb syndrome kind of a thing. That's why they're the people that like invent ketchup flavors make millions of dollars because they have such specific and organized palates that, they can just just pull it apart and make everything perfect. I don't know much more about it though. I think the guy uh, went by the name E Zone. E Zone. It might have been E Zone Farms or E Zone Four Twenty or E Zone Space Four Twenty or something. Um, but I remember the San Diego Cannabis Farmers Market. Like at this point, more maybe about half a decade or more ago it was just like it was just a really cool experience and i don't think it grows anymore so but yeah it is definitely the scent is a huge um huge memory trigger it'll be cool Sometimes to see more strains i hear i heard that are come out after uh sodas and pops things like that because i've heard root beer uh, mean jeans root beer i've heard sprite i've heard now you said uh grape so it'd be grape cool cola. To, yeah yeah oh uh, aaron said earlier uh it was a Mountain Dew, a Baja Blast. Baja Blast. I was going to say yeah. that's kind of a funny name, too. That Taco Bell exclusive strain, Taco you know Bell. what I'm saying? <laughs> that's a great sound. Or that's a great, like, I could almost smell it. <laughs> um, somebody asked in the chat when I'm going to be on the Future Canvas Project and uh, again. And to answer that briefly, I'm not sure yet. I'll have to arrange, like, an IPM mailbag or something like that. So if you want to see more of that stuff, you can... Uh, see them on their discord channel you can talk to them there or you can comment whenever they talk about IPM and be like I want another Matthew episode and maybe you know um, but I'll have to talk with uh, Peter and see if I can arrange that because I would like to get more IPM questions out to people especially if they have them here right now I'm, I'm here for your questions too so congratulations to Jack who's not on the show today but got is is celebrating his his wedding finally on his one year anniversary um he's jetting off to his honeymoon tomorrow he's coming up my way he's gonna make a visit to my spot so i'm super excited to see him it was kind of the reason like i had to make sure yeah i'm so excited like finally linking up so i'm gonna you know smoke some weed with him and 
share some COVID. <laughs> well, hopefully not, but that is a really cool awesome. thing. That's, that's pretty cool. I did not know that that was part of the plans, <laughs> the travel plans. So shout out to Michigan, uh, the Michigan Bros Grow Show. I went out, hung out with a lot of the crew yesterday over at Sequence's house. Uh, we had a blast. We tried to meet oh, up. Oh, his new spot? Yeah, his new house. Yep. Right on. Shit, this is the second week in a <laughs> second time I've been there. <laughs> First time we smoked that. Oh my God. We had to break it in, in style. I mean, smoke detectors were going off. Uh, it was it was a good time. But I want to see. I don't know if I can uh, screen share or not. Let me try. No, nope, I'm disabled. If you could uh, allow me to you screen can open share. open that up. Yeah, let me do that. I want to you. get your take on something, Matthew. So yes. we had a guest on another show was showing me a product that's like a fogger. And I want to get your take on it. Okay, I've spotlighted you. Okay, so share screen. Oh, can you uh, try to right-click on me and give me the ability to sh screen share? Because it says I'm disabled. Host disabled participant screen sharing. Or if you can just make me like assistant, like. Oh, uh, you're right. Um, yeah, let me see. Like, that. give me a higher security clearance or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're spotlighted now. I, I might have made this more difficult for myself. Let's see here. Video settings. Or is anyone can anyone coach me here? I think uh the easiest way would to be make me host and then I'd be able to Oh do it. excellent. I can do that. Now you're oh wait here you are you're out here. Make host. Made. There you are. Uh, there it goes. Okay. Let me try this. So we had Craft Farmer when I was on the show, when we were on the Gmail show. Is this showing? Are you seeing my screen, the Instagram page? Yep. Yes, it is. All right. Nutrifogger, it's called. And you, it's got like just a, a little compartment on the side that it's got a liquid it looks almost like an iv bag and i think he was saying for like he can do like silica xeritol and sanity he's tried through it and they all worked um for example he's also tried plant therapy he told us on the show and he said for plant therapy he only had to put like 15 milliliters of plant therapy into this bag and he did his whole freaking room i want to show you i don't know if you guys are seeing the video or not but uh, I'm definitely seeing you. the video. Yeah. I want to bring it up to actually show you this thing working. Uh, come on, go faster. Here it goes. So it seems like a safer option too, because you put it in the room, I'll control fob for it. And you can start it up and walk out of the room. Right. And you, you don't even have to be in the room while it's running. Um, he says that if it like suspends the, the particles into the air, so it's almost like a cloud. He was saying that um, there's a small heating element in there, but I asked him, does it add a ton of heat into the room? And he said, no, it doesn't change the heat hardly at all in the room. And Did he, does he say do anything about electrostatic um, generation? Because I've seen these new sprayers that use electrostatic. They've been around for a long time. Well, they're new. I mean, I mean, like, I've never seen them before, but now that COVID is, is hot, it's like everybody, you know, it's the first thing you find on Google. Does anybody, it's not that though, right? No. Well, no, no. this is, this is like a, this is like, like a, a nanoscale. Um, yeah, it's like a pulse fog. I, I'm familiar with like a biofog or 
pull spots. He said that it stays like it's persistent. It stays like while it's not, it only runs for 30 seconds, but it stays like a cloud and and it stays hanging in the air for a good amount of time before it actually settles again. And to me, that sounds like that would be absolutely amazing for pest control because, and for foliar application, because you're hitting like a 3d surface instead of a 2d spray. You know what I mean? Yeah, one of the one of the the most difficult thing for those who've never had to do it, and I've I've met many people who have never had pests, which is great, um, but they don't realize they underappreciate how important coverage is, and they're like, oh, I oh Matt, I sprayed the thing that you talked about or whatever, and I, I just it didn't work out. Usually, even with good coverage, you have to spray multiple times, but like something like this allows you to achieve that objective. Pulse fog, biofog, these are also systems that exist um, that can they can do similar sorts of things in like commercial agriculture. I've definitely got experience with them. Some products you have to have one or the other. Some of them are compatible with both. Um, so yeah, I definitely, and this sort of thing, what's great is because those systems I talked about before use like a, like a, like a jet engine basically to like uh, atomize the, the compound and i don't believe that's happening here it's doing much yeah. much which much less heat so that's very cool yeah so it's like like no heat and it's just like uh it basically puts a cloud in into the room he said he he got a the inventor was a guy from south africa and that's who he works with who he partnered with and he's basically using you know craft farmer the coolest thing about this craft farmer this is the first time i met him was on the show but he's cool as shit He's basically just a grower that everything that he likes, that he thinks is badass, he talks to that company and puts and gets it on his webpage and just sells it to other growers because um, whatever he you know believes in, he fucking is like facilitates that company. I think that's cool. Um, a lot of the stuff that he had on his page we used even at work already. I've like so it's not like he's picking out he's picking out the same things that we're that we're using professionally too. So I was pretty impressed with the guy. But so that fogger, I was like, man, like I was saying earlier, one of my least favorite jobs is to to spray, you know, and so, uh, like, just do that, that. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would do that all day long. No problem. Yeah, I definitely I feel know. like, um, yeah, that's a really cool thing. I'd like to check it out more. What it really is attractive to is the amount of savings in the actual anything you're using, whether it be you know, a pesticide, or if you're using it fully early for a, you know, like he said, they've used power sites, you can use so much less because you're using so much less water. I just wonder how, if it's still just as effective, he claims it is. He said he uses it to apply yeah. silica to stop the stretch or not stop to slow down the stretch. Without like, yeah, without having used it before, without knowing many details about it. I would be curious about that kind of a thing because also it's, and it could just be like, this is sort of a cliche way to describe new things, but like it might be disruptive technology, you know, it might just be like somebody figured out a, a really cool way to do it. And I know that sometimes products are continually used in the way that they are because the infrastructure has already been vertically integrated too. So the people who own the product and all the lines to make the product make money on every level. And so like they wanna have those systems stay in place, even if there's a more innovative way to go about things, it's more efficient or something like that. That does happen. But um, I try not to assume that every single new thing is like that. And I'm very curious and I love that you brought this example up. Thanks a lot. And no problem. 
Yeah, I, on the pesticide side of it, I was just thinking in my head, I was like, man, if you could suspend these particles in the air and like a flying insect, especially, how screwed is he now? He, he doesn't even have the safety of the air anymore because he has <laughs> yes. the air. And, and, and that's the thing I love to talk about, right? Uh, insects, is, they, they got to the skies first, right? And so for a long time, they were masters, then birds happened and that was unfortunate. So they had to get smaller and then um, bats happened and moths developed stealth and it's very cool. Like, yeah, so if you can eliminate air, land, sea, you, uh, you don't have a lot of options. That just seems like uh, time savings alone. I mean, water savings is huge. The app, whatever you're applying savings is huge. And then time savings, 30 seconds and you're done. It, I, I can guarantee you it takes me a hundred times more than that to do a room. Shit, I'm in there for probably an hour. So 30 seconds. Uh, there's just so many things that makes my hopes go so high. It's like, I want it to work so much <laughs> because that would be such a, game changer i think i don't know if i would i don't know if i would recommend like home growers like if it's in your home it better be like a super well sealed room especially if it's a pesticide or something that you shouldn't be breathing is my only um reservation as far as safety comes like in a commercial totally thing you can agree. leave the room you know it's going to be sealed you just shut the room door and you're good but at home i don't know yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and also, like, yeah, like, I mean, it probably goes without saying, but just to be sure, like, probably it would, it sounds like it's even kind of a lot of volume, and maybe you could adjust it. Um, but sounds like it's even kind of a lot of volume for a small tent, you know, so like, but at the that point, way to adjust it is time. So what he was saying is like, if you oh, have a, a small homesteading, he's like, literally three seconds is all you need. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. It's just, it's just that the, it's not that the fog is getting pushed out at a higher rate. It's that it's just how long does it take the fog to fill the space? So mm. it's just a time thing. So three seconds and you got your space filled. You don't need to keep pumping smoke. In a similar way, I know that some, like, uh, I think Sanidate or Oxidate is like this, where, um, if you turn the substance, you can spray the substance like a liquid, like as a liquid, or you can make it into a foam, right? And so the foam, just like the fog is like, it, it increases the coverage tremendously, right? It changes the, the, the nature, right? It's a 3D situation, like you were kind of saying. Yeah, we have a fogger. Um, or a foamer at work too but yeah, right? it's the same thing as a sprayer i still got to do all the ppe so i still got to do True. this giant heavy mask i still got to get gloved up and and uh, a whole nother suit on top of that and Whereas spend the time thing, actually applying it yeah yeah this thing i put in the room and walk the hell out oh it just sounds so good <laughs> all right we can find another horse to beat but that just sounded good to me man i was excited about it We did have another question in chat from Chad Westport. Does anyone use the AC Affinity USB computer fans for fans inside a small two by two or three by three tent? I'm considering this as an option. I think I saw Green Jeans Garden do a episode one time where he used 
fans and i believe it was from ac affinity that were like a computer style they're a little bit bigger than a computer fan but the same style those square real super quiet fans i couldn't tell you what episode but if you do it you can maybe find information there but i think it's doable i just i would look at the specs of the fan and see like what it's rated to how much air it's supposed to move out you know what i mean what are the cfus of the fan and, and match it to your space and yeah i think it's totally doable what do you guys think Yeah, I imagine it's kind of like that where, you know, it's just like a physics question. How much air do you want to move and how big is your space? And and that's it, right? CFM, baby. It's all about CFM. Calculate your cubic feet and then you can multiply by 1.3 if you have a heavy duty filter like a wet wall or like a HEPA filter. And uh, yep, cubic feet per minute. So just make sure that matches up. If you look in other industries, um, for example, like um, photography, people that develop their own films, they have to move air out of those rooms. I'm sure they've got fans that are specifically designed so that light doesn't come in, but they can still blow air out. Uh, look in different industries and maybe you're going to save some money and get a better quality item, too, because you don't have to pay the cannabis tax. Yeah, I definitely that. agree with that. I, I like the... I like depping a vent so you have like a wall with a vent on on like the top area and then on the op, on the outside of the wall you have a vent on the bottom and so as long as you have two 90 degree turns between the louvers inside the wall the wall acts as your your ducting and then you put a a a pull fan on the other side of that wall and so you're able to to dep with any kind of uh fan as long as you're able to build a wall with. Oh, and that pole fan is just to compensate for all those turns. That's going to bring that efficiency of that back up. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. I mean, your efficiency isn't going to go down as long as your louvers allow for cubic feet that you're oh, trying to pull. So the louvers are just vents in the wall that, that darken. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's instead of dropping like a six inch uh, soft ventilation and, curving it around you can have this inside of your wall and dep your fan using an exhaust room kind of like outside the room nice eliminate all that stupid fucking ducting <laughs> exactly yep katie armstrong had a question before and cheddar bob you said they get a trips question if you can resubmit it in chat i will get to it but uh, Katie asks, are yellow sticky traps effective against fungus gnats? Now, there's a little bit to unpack in that question because I do get this a lot. As like a curative control, not at all. Almost never. Uh, it depends. I mean, this is the cheap home grow podcast. So if the volume is very slight, I think that the yellow sticky cards are great for like killing some of those ingressing populations. But um, usually it's not going to kill the whole population. Um, it's yellow sticky cards are almost almost always used for um, for sampling, and there are like rolls of yellow like um, uh, adhesive glue adhesive tape that you can get um, kind of expensive, uh, but people use those in industrial settings to to mass trap um, large flying insects that are attracted to that bright yellow color. Um, so yeah, so in my opinion, probably not going to be helpful in that case. The thing that you should be doing is trying to eliminate um, 
ways for the fungus nest to get into your growth space if you can and also kind of eliminate like the same way you would for mosquitoes it's also mosquito season right now and especially if you live in california um please 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 um you know uh overturn your um your pots and like things that can hold water because that standing water becomes a place for mosquitoes but also fungus gnats and midges and other sorts of things um that can cause a problem for your plants or for yourself. So it's all, all biosecurity at the end of the day. But I also want to stress the fact that those sticky traps are, the reason there's a grid on them is to make it easy for you to make accounts. You can walk in there every day and be like, okay, I've got, you know, one per square or i got you know 14 or i got 10 today so that when you come in the next time you're like wait a minute i've got 30 holy shit the the, the population is increasing we better do something instead of just do nothing so it's kind of like it helps you like it's an indicator to show you what's going on where our eyes aren't good enough to just walk into a room and, and evaluate how many bugs are flying around because you're not going to see any probably but I those, totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, those traps are there to be like a visual, like it's snapshot like an abs- of what's going on. Yeah, it's like an abstraction, you know. And you can, yeah, the grid really helps that. You can just look at a grid or a couple of grids and just make an average. An Matthew, I see them. I see them in blue as well. Which do fungus knights like the blue or the yellow, and what are the different so the, uh, colors? The blue. Yeah. It's a great question. So the blues, you would maybe think that they, you would use green, right? You'd think like maybe green. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I like the yellows primarily. The blues are good for, I think they're often used for thrips actually. But I do find that it's not um, It's not as common. And sometimes you even see those uh, sticky cars doped with some kind of like attractant, maybe a pheromone, maybe like um, I have heard um people talk about putting like almond extract on the uh, sticky cars to attract thrips or certain species of thrips um so that's an interesting thing to consider but and i'm all about using every like sense that you can exploit of the insect to like disrupt it repel it attract it in a way that will be beneficial to you um all those sorts of things if, if you can um mess with their physiology in all those ways uh, then you can have a much better outcome, I think. And uh, I like the yellow ones. And the reason why they're the color that they are is because a lot of insects that are herbivorous will hone in, either they're looking for floral resources and yellow, uh, what we call like UV. Um, well, like the yellow can is, is uh, attractive because of its yellow color, because it can also show it can also be a color of a flower, but it can also be the color of like unhealthy leaves that are chlorotic. So you kind of like have both of those advantages there. Um, and also some of those, uh, you, those yellows have, are like really close to like the UV or how do I say this? They're like, they like reflect it or they do something to it. And so you kind of get both advan- advantages. I'm not really describing that very well though. Um, but like I color- think I, re- I think I remember on the blue one specifically, they're marketed for thrips. I don't know what. Pretty what, sure. It, but the, the yellow ones is what I see most everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. 
Um, I got Cheddar Bob's, Bob's question. Yes. I got I got Kukumaris and Pirate Bugs for a few thrips I've seen. Anything else you'd recommend? I have Hypoaspis miles in the soil. Um, that's pretty great. Uh, that's a that's a pretty comprehensive group. So you got the Kukumaris that goes after thrips and a bunch of other things. Uh, you got Pirate Bugs that go after thrips and also are generalists. And then you have a Hypoaspis in the soil when the thrips uh, pupate, they sometimes fall into the soil, and that's another vulnerability that you can exploit. So, to add, I would use like Bavaria bassiana or something like that if you can drench apply that, if you can get access to it. Um, that can be really great, and I have good efficacy against it um, as a drench for thrips and also for uh, fungus gnat larvae. I can second that. I've used, uh, I got some from Brandon, and uh, I just, <laughs> I went full total war because I took in a, a plant that was like fungus net, like amusement park or something. So I was like, Oh, this is going to go down quick. So I just took the straight spores and fucking put a good layer across the top of that pot. And literally within, I don't know, a week, I didn't see a fungus net flying, man. So, uh, I did had sticky traps and stuff too, to, to catch the flyers, but, uh, you know already but uh that i don't use it as i don't use it as an ipm i just use it as a nuclear bomb so um i don't use it like in my soil all the time because of the nature i've heard that it's like you have to like re-inoculate a lot to get the, the benefit so i'm like screw it i'm just gonna if i see a problem that's my nuke i, I just smash the soil with a bunch of bb spores yeah, um, you know, half measures are fine, but I do feel like that is that is kind of the that's like an aspect of the biosecurity mindset of the IPM mindset that I think is sometimes not um, focused on nothing. That's, that's like that violence of action. It's that like intensity. Like you got to be tenacious. You can't just um, apply one thing or two things. Well, it depends on what you apply, I suppose. But things that you probably should be applying in cannabis. Um, you got, you got to apply usually multiple times. You got to get in there and maybe cut away some of the foliage that's really damaged or that has lots of the pests on there. Um, you know, get up in there. Uh, people who grow at their home have so many advantages that they don't have commercially. And we've spoken to this in the past, Spartan, right? That like, at the end of the day, you go home, right? And so like, you yeah. kind of can't do certain things um, that you could at your house. And vice versa, though, there's some things you can do that's true that you can't do at the house. Here's a really great tip that I picked up from Stephen uh, Reisner from Potent Ponics. And I thought this was great. And anybody can do this. And this is going to step up your game. And it's going to probably save Matthew a lot of headaches is that if you have a questionable bug and you want to get a good picture of it, what Stephen does is when he catches them, he says he just throws them in the damn freezer and then comes back to them in an hour, two hours, whatever. You know, they're dead once you freeze them. Then they don't move either and you can get them under a really they stay still and you can take really great pictures uh with uh your you know with your macro lenses and get really good pictures of all your pests i thought that was such a great idea um you know, grab, so grab an infected leaf throw that whole fucking thing in a bag and throw it in the freezer fuck it you know what i mean how easy is that not only are you taking the pest out of the space but now you're you're going to be able to get a good id on it and know what you're dealing with I definitely agree with that and definitely helps with the videos. I've gotten so much experience 
um, you know, looking at people's various photos and videos, even like in grainy footage, it's gotten to the point where I feel like um, I could be one of those like UFO operators or like people who like stand out on the deck being like, what is that? Like, you know, we have no idea. Let's take, let's, let's really analyze it, like, enhance, you know, CSI style. Um, but yeah, if you can put it in the fridge or the freezer, um, insect bodies are pretty resilient. Um, you will eventually kill it uh, if you leave it in too long. But um, they can come back. Like I've had, I've heard of many stories of people who go to pin their arthropods um, and they put them in the, free, the fridge for not long enough. And like 12 hours later, their bodies are wriggling on these pins, the exact opposite they wanted to happen. Um, and they have to like, you know, go through that process again. And because you have to like uh, relax the body and all this other sort of taxidermy stuff. That's gonna what's going to happen Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to last that long in the freezer, though. You could probably, I would imagine most bugs are going to die in the freezer. Hopefully. Oh, definitely. It's just a time okay. thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, like, like in the fridge, is... in the fridge, they can be like, they can look dead, you know, like pretty much. Like some people have an eye for it, like if their body is so kind of flexible, you know, but like, they won't be active, and so people will mistake them for dead. Yeah, I've seen magicians be like, look, this fly is dead. And he's just like, puts his hand over it, you know, warms it up. All of a sudden, it comes to life. He like, you know, wiggles his fingers at it, and it comes back to life because it was just frozen. It wasn't dead. <laughs> okay, Matthew, there, uh, Chef in chat, Chef M, shout out to you, Chef, um, has said that it's some issues with fungus gnats, so my general tips on fungus gnats and he's saying organic too organic options okay um generally speaking so fungus gnats show up you got an imbalance somewhere so what do fungus gnats eat fungus gnats are looking for decaying organic material so that means you have a layer of material that these fungus gnats are going after and it's got to be wet so i'm not saying it's over watering but uh you're going to have to address one of those two situations, either the moisture level or the organic material. Um, a lot of people will do to address the organic material, they'll, they'll do like a dry material, like uh, rice holes is a common one or sand uh, over the top to try to make a physical barrier. But I think it's better just to get your watering to a, a level to where your moisture is good enough for your plant, but you're not so moist to where you're attracting fungus gnats and then you start building like um who was that matthew that had that last question about the fungus gnat? i can't remember but they said they had the uh the hypostasis what are they they're not called hypoaspis miles yeah they're called something else now uh, oh the, well there's the, it's a long confusing taxonomic uh kerfluffle okay. but uh yeah there's stradiolalaps there you go. Gimitis, and there's hypoaspis miles, and they're both in the family Lelapidae and the tribe hypoaspididae, and or also oh, they're or two different things then. Or I thought uh, they it's oh, sort okay. of like it's kind of there's probably you know it's the truth it's it's probably a a cryptic species complex. Um, I bet you that's the reality of it. Just like that was recently found out with green lace wings, where recently is found that the Chrysoprila carnea that are being sold um, are actually a species complex and various biocontrol companies have like different cultures and they were able to tell the difference because 
they make different mating calls. I knew it. I know you knew it. I know. And I want to confirm it for you. And now we know. <laughs> so, you know, it just goes to show that we don't always know what we're dealing with, even with the things bigger than microbes. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, just keep building up your army against the fungus gnats. Uh, and so the next thing would be, yeah, that that's a good thing. The uh, we'll call them hypostasis miles for now. Hey, Matthew, nematodes was the one that I wanted right. to say that we haven't mentioned. Uh, that's another good one you could throw in there. Uh, they're fairly cheap. SF variety. I can't, I'm not going to try to pronounce Steiner Nema Felsier. But yeah, I can't believe I forgot to mention those too. Definitely a big SF nematode fan for fungus gnats. You know how they sell those uh, blue light uh, fan things that'll catch mosquitoes and trap them in? Oh, that, yeah. Like will UV that be light. effective? Yeah, will that be effective with fungus gnats or are those mostly mosquito grabbers? You know, I don't have a lot of experience using like some of the more like kind of high end cheesy. versions of those. Right. Um, some cheesy, um, yeah. Well, you know, I don't, I, I try not to be too. The problem is, is that like a lot, a lot of times people don't make stuff for bug people. So I got you got to kind of like adapt and use things and be creative. And UV traps uh, can kind of be a boon and a bane. They can be a boon because UV is often attractive to a lot of different organisms, insects, both beneficial and detrimental. So you can kind of uh, kind of kill both, um, which is not great. But also um, at the same time, you might not want to attract them to your area. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Just kind of generally. So it's like, uh, same with the pheromone traps in some ways, but the pheromone traps aren't so bad because you're usually attracting males that don't lay eggs. And that's how you disrupt the, um, the mating um, situation of your general area. So that's a good question. Good Can you place. take those insects out of the? I was thinking just putting one of those fucking things out in my backyard just to harvest insects and then throw them through my worm bin at, almost as like a, a frass input or a chitin input or something. Would that you think that'd be beneficial? I, I mean, I think that if you were able to, yeah, if you were able to like attract them and like harvest them in a in a certain in a way like well, you maybe see those fly like traps where you they, they put them for usually around horse farms and stuff oh they'll yeah catch, they'll catch like pounds oh yeah flies. but the glue i'd be curious about if you had like a glue maybe that was like a natural glue and then like you put well, it on like a paper that's it's a container you just opens it up and they're all oh tons of carcasses yeah, yeah. inside I thought you were talking, sorry. I keep thinking people are talking about like fly paper and that kind oh, of no, stuff. Oh, yeah, no, no, not that. That would be yeah. impossible to get them off, yeah. Right, but yes, no, I think that that's an interesting way to, I mean, that could be a cool way to like, I still think there's a way to like. I'm just thinking, do of, you think, do you think there's a positive use that I could use insect carcasses? Like, yeah, well, people are talking about the, the, the chitin and the um, sort of how chitin can be an elicitor for the immune system um and insect there wouldn't bodies be like an mpk to it at all you think well maybe a mosquito might have some iron <laughs> from blood, <laughs> blood in it. yeah probably quite a bit proportionally um <laughs> you know and like some well like and like some i guess like when i think about it like there's a lot of insects even like moths and things and butterflies that 
are toxic, right? Like monarch butterflies and anything in the um, sort of oh, that's a good uh, point. Zygody. Yeah, so I just I guess there's there are there are probably some edge case situations that might not be super applicable. Um, but yeah, I like thinking in that way. I like the idea of using like ultraviolet traps or some way to exploit the like visual vulnerabilities of insects because although they have pretty cool eyes that do some some stuff really well it does other stuff really poorly um and so like you know like like the color thing like i know a lot of, some people talk about how they've heard of research where they use like you know electromagnetism to figure out things and such but the vast majority of research that i'm familiar with is um centered around their a combination of aroma basically or some sort of scent perception taste perception when they get to the plant but before that ever happens uh visual cues and so all of those three things kind of come together to tell the insect that your plant is suitable to eat and so if you can break that down at any of those levels and preferably all three of those levels yeah. then that's really good for you so That's kind of like the plants trying to do that with their uh, with their terpenes. Exactly, and and when they are damaged, they'll release other volatiles that tell the other things, "Hey, are you hungry? <laughs> want to yeah. work? Want to work for it? <laughs> Come help me." <laughs> and okay. then, uh, and then maybe other insects, you know, have developed like a, a recognition of those and say, "Oh no, that plant's under attack." time to attack it, you know, like, so you kind of can't win. I feel like there's a, it's a turtles all the way down, so to speak. I just want bugs to stay away from my fucking plants. That's all I want, Matthew. <laughs> I know. Right. I, you know, uh, that's why those, I, we, I was working with the psycho people and that's why we're working. We're doing mesh screen because, uh, we took out, we put some pheromone traps out we caught some, uh, we caught the first budworm after having them out for two weeks um, of the season. Uh, so we're waiting to see what the data points are going to be. Uh, but that's why we, that's why we have, we're going to, um, we're going to uh, encl enclose all of the plants in, uh, in mesh screen and we're going to see how that goes. Now, one of the downsides to that, one of the things to consider rather, is that the uh, physics of airflow make it so that well also light because this is going to like block like 20 to 30 percent of the light that hits the plants too which is significant but also um, outside you'll be fine that's just like it's, it's gonna be no problem that's what i'm thinking yeah that's what i'm thinking i don't think it'll be a problem also it's very dry up there and they have a high elevation so like it's like average 20 to 30 degrees or 30 percent humidity relative so I don't think that'll be a huge problem. They're also going to introduce mulch too. So that might um, increase the insulation I'm imagining, but I don't think it's going to spike the humidity too egregiously. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that actually? I think it's going to be great for the root zone. I think I would suggest it. Um, I would caution the mulch not to be too woody. Um, like, I would agree with that. Like no wood chips, things like that um because that'll that'll 
if it gets buried in the dirt, which eventually it's going to, um, it's just going to be like take a bunch of nitrogen for that fungi to break the, that wood down. And you're going to be chasing nitrogen with your plants that are already nitrogen. They eat a lot of nitrogen already. Um, but I know I like the idea. I would, I would recommend outdoor anytime you can do a mulch layer, it just tremendously reduces the amount of water you have to use, which is the biggest, yeah. the biggest labor and is usually the water. And very dry out here. How would you, how would, how do you like to insulate with mulch? So what I like to do is I did um, in ground planting with fabric pots, but I would do partial plants. So it would be half the height of the, you know, you could, whatever size you want to go with the bigger, the better, usually up to a point, but whatever the half the height of the, the pot was, I would dig that hole in the native ground put the pot in there, start with my own mixed soil, um, and then bury that pot halfway. So I get the benefit of a raised bed. So if I get a torrential downpour, I don't get wet roots or wet feet, so to speak. My feeder roots that sit on the top will be dried out. They can drain through the sides too. And then um, the pot being buried in the ground gives you the benefit of helps your root zone be protected from all the damn subterranean critters that like to fuck with your roots, you know, like moles, for example, or, or groundhogs. Or, I yeah, even they're going to be put, they're, they're putting in a mesh. Oh, uh, like putting, they buried the eggs that I had unbeknownst to me had buried that's eggs. That's amazing. There. Yeah, that's amazing. and I had baby little turtles come out. Yeah. They're going to put in a mesh for that too, like an anti-vole, like grating. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, but then, um, and then if you're using pots, you can, you control how much you fill in and then you could use depending on, I mean, it's going to take their, their knowledge that they've grown there before, but, and, and to know how much to mulch in. And what I'm saying is that I use a thicker mulch layer. If I think it's going to be a dry year, if I think it's going to be a more wet year, I don't want to put a lot of mulch layer because it's going to be a wet year and it's just going to be act like a sponge and I don't want to hold water, especially near the, the middle. So even if I know it's going to be a real wet year, it's calling for a lot of, even if it's a, a week that I'm going to get a lot of rain in a week, I'll dig the mulch layer away from the stem. So it's a very thin mulch layer at the actual close to the stem, but then it's thick, you know, as you come out, just because I'm worried about stem rot is another kind of outdoor thing you have to worry about unless you can keep, you know, keep the bottoms real cleaned up and you have good airflow, you're okay. And it sounds like with your lower humidity, it shouldn't be an issue for you. That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, and, I usually um, am higher. I'm usually dealing with higher humidity. It's low humidity all summer long. And then towards the end of harvest, when you don't need it is when we get the, the <laughs> high moisture. And then it's all high moisture for us towards the end of the, towards harvest time. Yeah, that can be the case here too. Like um, when it gets a little bit colder in autumn and winter in Southern, sort of Southern California, even like, and, and especially so where it's actually, you know, a little wetter. Um like the spring, springtime, like right now, we'll get some precipitation some places. Um, it'll just come out of nowhere. And in this place in Naguanga, um, you know, the the climate such that like sometimes like water will just kind of pool out of the air and like the, the cloud formation kind of happens rapidly and dissipates rapidly. Um, but um, but it's kind of interesting. And But yeah, during harvest time, like October, November, December, I feel like February living living in Southern California, as long as I have, I feel like February is kind of like our wettest. It can feel like our wettest month sometimes. 
Um, I remember in high school, uh, the high the area around my um, school actually flooded. Oh my god! <laughs> in February. Is, yeah, in February, and in San Diego, where it's really, really dry and hot, sunny San Diego, right? So <laughs> I was not. A lot of people were surprised. Do you do you know if they grow from seed or, or clone? They grow from seed, actually. Perfect. I, that was going to be another thing I was saying. If they can, I would do. I would grow from seed. You're, you're going to get. I don't want to say it's going to water itself, but it's, that taproot is really helpful because it kind of grows straight down instead of trying to go laterally a lot, and uh, it'll find any subterranean if there is any. I don't know. It doesn't sound like you might have very many subterranean water sources there, but if there is one, it'll find it. Yeah, there's actually a um, there's a plant on the site. There's a native plant, and we're using a lot of those, a lot of native flora and fauna as much as we can to actually be banker crops and things like that, banker plants. So, I'm excited about that. One of them, uh, for a long time, it was thought that it used a like um, like a toxin, like a phytotoxin to inhibit other plants to grow around it. But apparently it's just really well adapted to this desert and it just sucks the moisture out of the, out of all of the soil around. And so it outcompetes the other plants that get, that don't establish first. And oh, wow. um, so there, there's some really cool desert plants that I'm going to be interacting with. So um, I'm excited about that. We got a ton of, a ton of hoverflies. Like in each each uh, each trap, when we had like five out there, we probably had fifty, at least minimum. Are you which not kind of made... about that? Hmm? Aren't you, aren't you a little concerned about that? Uh, well, the pretty good vectors, aren't they? Well, hoverflies are the larvae often feed on aphids, so I'm I'm kind of hoping, oh. kind of hoping for that outcome. But there are other native species. Um, that will, the larvae feed on uh, decomposing wood. Um, if you've ever seen like what are called like rat tail maggots, I think that's what they're called. Um, those are actually a hoverfly um, group that uh, feeds on like algae and bacteria and that kind of stuff. They can, they, they have like this little tube that lets them like breathe the air as they like swim in the muck. What? <laughs> hey Matt, I have a question. Um, do is it possible that BT could negatively impact hoverfly larvae, being that they're like in that caterpillar? Yeah. Uh, what did I say? No, no, no. Well, because mosquitoes are flies too, right? Is your point hover hover the specifically the their cat? You know, they're they're like in a caterpillar form, like a worm. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm thinking of yes. I'm <laughs> So, so question being yeah. is is bt negatively impacting potentially hoverfly larvae that's a good question um so like bacillus thuringiensis but just just like by itself no special isolate like so right. like there's the ones that are for the caterpillars i would say i would say it's possible that some bt could have a negative effect on on hoverfly larvae but the but i would think it'd be more likely on the species that live in the sort of decaying organic matter or like wood and that kind of stuff. I think they'd be more susceptible, not because of like any physiological reason, more so just from like um, proximity and the likelihood that they would get, that would, they would have like more exposure from gotcha. because of their lifestyle. Um, 
there's a, I wanted to sound very fancy and remember the specific name we have for like larviform. Like there's a specific kind of larvae that entomologists use. It's basically a word that means like caterpillar-like. And I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but like it's I funny. I wish I had known that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's like a, it's like a Latin word. And um, yeah. it basically means that like, uh, like this, like, cause it's got like, like things that have like a, a long body, a head capsule and like some like, pr- like proto legs and that kind of a thing. So like Cata- have caterpillion. <laughs> caterpillars have it some fly larvae have it kind not quite like that but um uh beetles have it i think mostly just those two oh like uh wasps and some lar- some larvae of those groups do have that but anyways rant over <laughs> i gotta jump out of here guys i gotta get going but uh oh yeah great episode this went fast man we just sitting here shooting the shit and went fast thanks to chat for all the good questions this time i love episodes like that where chat kind of drives the episode i like it so uh, much love to everybody grows love and uh, we'll see y'all next week man later spartan later spartan i definitely have to agree i um later man i enjoy these um you know sort of like uh just sort of diatribes where we talk and and shoot it up (laughs) so should we start the outro or how are we feeling do you have any more questions? I'm down, but my outro is so short. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the um, four of us. We're all, I don't know, Tao, you, uh, what do you got going on, man? I want to hear your voice just more. If no, nothing uh, else. I want to hear more from you too. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. Well, like I was saying, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I got, I got chocolate. So what happened was I ordered chocolate in the mail and I thought they were going to be regular seeds, but they were femme seeds. So, uh, Full duplex was kind enough to hook me up with some sex reversal spray that I want to use, attempt to use on that strain in particular. But then I also acquired some OG chocolate tie. And uh, I'm going to go down and try and find me some chocolate tasting weed is what I'm planning on, I hope, knock on wood. That sounds really delightful. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to, to Full Duplex, man. That guy is totally legit. Um, he's actually one of my... We, we we talk a lot and uh, he's helped me out you know and uh that's a really cool dude and if anybody's looking for any autoflowers that's the guy you want to hit up right there no oh, doubt you, you heard it from noah so noah what are some of the things you're working on currently yeah i'm, I'm getting ready to, to i'm i'm building some soil for uh some autoflowers outdoors um i recently just got reached out to by uh one of the reps of uh the dirt that the soil that um Full duplex is running bio 365 and i'm gonna try some of that i'm gonna try some some auto flowers and um right now i'm just totally recovering from this car wreck i, I don't know if i posted any pictures in our in our chat or if not i will and um you did you did yeah post I thought, some I of, I the, of the yeah. after effect that the, the car was quite oh yeah egregious yeah, so i've been kind of out of it a little bit but uh yeah no you know, there's not very many people here, but I mean, I'll run it by, there was, a, I was in the chat a whole bunch. That's why I wasn't exactly as normal. But the, one of the subjects that got brought up was uh, people were talking about, to me, I thought pretty high prices for, for uh, specialized cuts. And I'm curious, what's the most anybody here has paid for a cut? That's a good question. I like that. Um. I paid. Oh, okay. I paid a hundred dollars for a cut, um, for Sunday driver. Um, 
but I mean, Tiki Madman's got got cuts on Neptune's website for five hundred dollars a pop, and you can order them from anywhere in the country. My buddy, um, the platinum OG cut that I have, my buddy bought got that like when you know cookies have been around. So I mean, like probably like seven years ago, cookies have been, it had already hit the scene, obviously because it's got cookies in it, but it was real fresh, right? And then he got that. And I know he paid $500 for it and signed a contract with the guy saying that he wasn't going to give any cuts out for like a year or something. And then afterwards, I got one. And uh, I, I, I love it dearly. But, I mean, I remember the time when he told me $500. I was like, oh, my God. But, uh, I mean, it was at the time, you know, however long ago it was. And after, you know, I know it was at least five, six, seven years, something like that. But it, it was some of the best, you know, best weed terpiest stuff that i had ever had but what was it? Uh, platinum. I, I know that, yeah platinum it girl plat- scout cookie cross with og kush the, the, anything with platinum in it seems to have a really high markup dude there was a guy selling a platinum cross for 2500 it's the only thing he grew and it's 2500 i don't know who buys that shit but yeah crazy prices 20 are, are, are we talking are we talking 2500 for the flower or are we talking 2500 for one cut Dude, for the cut and contract oh obligated, oh. like you're talking about. Oh my yeah. God. Contract obligation on top of it. That's pretty. Yep. Wow. I know that my, uh, that's one of the guys that was running that same circle. I also heard a rumor that like when gelato first hit the scene, that somebody paid a ridiculous amount of for it. Somebody that I know, I can't remember what the number was, but I know that I've paid 60. I think I maybe paid 71 so i'm trying to like think about what i know that i you know and um i hey if you're gonna you know if you're gonna get a lot out of it you know i mean if maybe if it if it washes real good or presses real good and that's what you're really into or it's got a real terpy but man 2500 i'm out i'm out i i agree and and i was too but and i laughed in his face but like honestly you know one pound and it's paid off. I mean, I've paid more for other grow equipment and, and it, it pays itself off in the same regard, ROI. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's there, but I, I didn't see it. Yeah. It'd have to be I something. Think the, I think the most someone... I've ever spent was $20. <laughs> Good, <laughs> like Good for you. Dispensary, honestly. Like I, was saying, I, never bought, I never bought a cutting ever in my entire existence. Oh, oh man. lucky, lucky guys. So, yeah, if there was something I wanted, I would like, either get the parents and try and find my own, or I would buy knockoff seeds. <laughs> I, I know that, uh, that there, there was a, there's a big clone drop for, uh, for 420 in my local area, of, uh, and I know the place, uh, and they're legit. And it, it's, uh, it's 60 a cut, and it's the apple fritter cut, and I, I'm, I'm going to go get one. So. Oh, <laughs> I know really some of them cuts. That. Oaksterdam University Nursery used to sell cuts, and there's some that if you still had some of those, that some of them were pretty damn good. Sure. At least the smoke was. I never grew any of them out, but I tried some smoke off of a couple of them, and it was really good shit. There's, yeah, you know, that's another – you know, of course, I'm getting into some deeper stuff now that there's only a few guys here, but I got some good guys. Uh, it, that's a, to me, that's kind of a controversial subject. I mean, I think if you took the absolute best, best cut 
and gave it to just a guy who really didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he might be able to grow decently. Whereas if you gave someone like just even like a, you know, gorilla glue four, let's just say a cut that, you know, yields pretty good. And, you know, a, a good grower like Brandon or Aaron or any Spartan or any of you guys, you, you're going to be able to grow fire with it. So, I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? If you had that $2,500 platinum cut, you know, maybe it would be like, you know, three, four, five percent better. But I mean, and if you're looking for that particular taste, or like I said, it's something that maybe does, you know, good hash, you know, for what people want to do. But nah, man. dude, to me, it seemed like same kind of mentality of like, I'm going to buy this new car right like, to show off like it's not mm-hmm. you know i got this on my you know on my resume now it's mine it's like you know okay i got buddies that'll bre- outbreed that strain in in f3 you know in less than a year um but nonetheless this stuff exists and you know if you can see an roi on it and you're you have the money for it it, it could be a good investment but then again don't pay more than something's worth right hey, now let me ask you guys this ten dollars a pop if someone had a clone and the end product was the real skunk the real skunk do you think <laughs> there would be a do you think there would be a market for it yeah there would be there definitely you know, would be and that's funny that? you say that i know that because some people sell skunk that's not skunk if only for the <laughs> fact that there can only be one skunk i guess true you know, whatever that means, right? And I, even I don't know the extent of that statement, to be quite honest. But like, well, obviously, I'm know. not even saying it doesn't even have to be skunk, like skunk number one or anything. But if the if the cut ends up smelling totally if like it's a skunky, skunk, you mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Smell people, right? To so, be fair, yeah. that five hundred dollar platinum cut that I got, man, I'm telling you right now, that thing, it, dude, it is some of the smellingest stuff consistently and i've ran through a lot of gear man and very it's above few, the rest right? very few even come close right, yeah. even come close with that so with then the, yeah the, that smell so it's that's worth a good point dude yeah. yeah see exactly see like most cuts 99 of cuts out there ten dollars fifteen dollars that's what they're fucking worth but if you get a cut that's three or four percent better than everything else dude that's worth thousands uh, that, right? that's why that's why i actually brought it up you know what i mean because i mean i'm not you know, I just know that that's a tough, tough deal to, you know, pony up. But I, I see where you're coming from. I really do. I mean, the guy that I said to pay the 500 for it, I mean, we're talking about somebody that built his way up. I'll tell you that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it definitely helped him, you know, in a process that he was doing. So, yeah. Hell yeah. What do you guys think about final sign-offs now? Yeah, I think so. I was just going to add that, like, I do feel that, um, you know, that's the thing about value. Everyone has different way to value things, but like technically with, for cannabis, I think the ROI for a lot of things could be like large, you know what I mean? It's sure. Cannabis. Super so justifiable. Like, it's yeah. kind of easy to justify it from that perspective for a lot of things. Um, but I do feel like, and also if it goes for this price and then it becomes democratized and then many people have it, then the value in that way, in that very like, Keynesian, you know, very academic economics 101 way, like, of course, the value kind of goes down that way, but everyone's different. And um, there's more to buying and selling things than that, uh, certainly. So outro, um, Spartan. Oh, uh, (laughs) yeah, you're going to a Michigan Bros show, right? Yes, he has.
Oh, he already has. Uh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Aaron. Um, sure. Uh, yep. Um, I'm ATG Acres. That stands for Aaron the Grower. Um, I am on Instagram, YouTube, and also atgacres.com if you want to find out what's going on with me. Um, uh, really fun show. I, I regret not being able to be here every week, but I'm so, so grateful when I can. And especially when it's a small panel and I, and we get to converse like we have tonight. So thank you guys. And thanks for having me. Just let me know when the boar are giving you trouble. Oh yeah. No, get your, get your ammunition uh, ready. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if I'm allowed to do that. Um, Tao, <laughs> sign off. All right, Matthew, thanks for taking the controls. And uh, it was great to be here. Noah the Grower, ATG Acres, Spartan, and everyone. And it was good to see everyone in chat. Uh, I'm the American one on YouTube. I keep saying it every time, but I will put more content on YouTube eventually. And the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG, which I have more stuff on there. And yeah, it was really good. Uh, good chat tonight. Thanks. I'd love to see more of that stuff, especially if you can get that that chocolate cannabis to be um, very aromatic. I'm curious. That would smell. Be, yes. <laughs> Definitely report back on that. Um, we'll see you later. And uh, Noah the Groa. Yeah, uh, I'm Noah the Groa on Instagram with two e's. Um, I'm also a Cowboy Blazer fan on Twitter. Uh, if you have anything on Twitter you want to come check out, you can check it out. Um, I've been thinking about doing Facebook, but I just haven't been able to bring myself to do it. Um, I, I dig Instagram. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I've met so many cool people there. You know, everyone on this panel. Um, I got to shout out Shane, man. I was talking to my buddies the other day. I just happened to meet him in a Discord room and, you know, post a couple pictures of some of my buds, and, and he brought me here, and I'm so thankful to be with uh, all you guys. I mean, everyone ev down the list, everyone that's in that Instagram chat. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the Instagram chat if somebody gave me a thousand bucks. It's just so cool to have everybody there, the camaraderie. And I just am, am uh, honored to be a part of it. So uh, yeah, if you have any questions for me, you can check out my stuff and uh, uh, I'm glad to be here as always. You and me both. I definitely feel that as well. So I really appreciate um, having these conversations, echoing with Aaron Tao and you know, I've been saying it's both Spartan. Like I love having these sort of, closer tight-knit uh, question answering rapid fire uh, chat so I'm hoping that this is a good host experience for everyone and uh, signing out cheap home grow podcast 111 great job Matt thank you grow his love grow love Keep